Hey, did y'all enjoy your Thanksgiving? All right, I did too. I had my traditional Thanksgiving meal of pork roast and ribs. Uh, I, I make it a fact to just bless and pardon all turkeys that may come my way. I, I just, I'm not a turkey eater. And we gathered with family and friends and we got to talking. You know, when you get cousins or somebody out in the scene, when you get our age, we talk about the old days. We got to talking about the trotting path to the house out back. Do y'all know what that is? Uh, had a little crescent moon on the door. Yeah. I had an uncle, rich guy, but all of my cousin's life, they had an outhouse. And one time when we were there, I held it all I could, so I went to the outhouse. And I noticed something. It was a two-holer. Do y'all know what that? How, did anybody have a two-holer back in the day? How many had a one-holer? Okay. Now, here was my question. If you have a two-holer, who would you invite to come with you? I don't have anybody on my list that I would invite to come with me. But, oh well, that's how my mind works, okay? Listen, I got some good news for you. We really need some good news. I, I've been sick, tired, and over everything coming out of people's mouth, negative, doom, and gloom. We know that when Christ comes back, <laughs> it's not going to be doom and gloom for Christians. The issue is going to be those who have never received Christ. Because, see, that's it. For every believer... We'll spend eternity in a place that you cannot imagine perfection. I mean, you go look at your pictures when you're young. You think you were good looking then. Just think about what you're going to look like in heaven. It's going to be great. But when Jesus said in, the, in his word, as he introduced himself in the gospel, I have come to give you life and to give you life to the full. And that meant right now where we live. You recall that I said a couple of weeks ago that 59% of those who say they are believers, only 59% believe that this word is actually true and inspired from God. I guess the rest look at it as a storybook. And sometimes I'm afraid you and I are the same way. We get caught up in the wonderful stories that we hear about Abraham's faith and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Paul and Peter. You know, when I, Jesus appeared to Peter, James, and John on the seashore and he began to fry fish for them that morning, I can almost smell that fish. But the Word of God has one central character, and that's God. You see, we are called as Christians to know God. And it's not like people saying, this is what you ought to do. God has given instructions and said, there is a way that is life. That includes tears that you shed. That entears the trouble you go through, the sicknesses, the diseases, the loss of loved ones. All of that is a life to the full because we realize it's not over. 
Everything in life is a temporary happening. Have you ever thought about that? Even hurricanes. We didn't think these two this year would go away, but they did. And it was over. And God brought us through it. And every time we go through an obstacle in life, an amazing thing happens. In the life of a believer, their faith is strengthened. Because when the clouds roll away and you get that doctor's report that you've been healed, it's, it's over. When you get that, it's like, wow, God is good. I remember last week before I, I had my eye surgery. I, I'll be honest with you, I was a nervous wreck. Because I envisioned when they said laser, some guy pointing a gun at me and trying to cut some of my eye. And that scared me to death. And so I was in high octane. The, the lady, you know, they always take your blood pressure. You can't go into a doctor's office without them taking your blood pressure. And the lady said to me, is your blood pressure normally this high? I said, it is when I come in here. And she said, there's nothing to be worried about. I said, are you having the surgery or me? But on the other side of that, when I began to see, I just realized that God hand was on the hands of that doctor. And that's our blessedness. This message that I'm talking about today, good news, it's a way of life. This hit me between the eyes. Because sometimes we read the story of the Bible about the Abrahams, Peter, James, John, all of these great men. And we think, that's them, and I'm me. Is there anybody honest enough to say sometimes that's the way you look at it? You know, they did that, but is this for me? It is for you. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul defends his apostleship again. It's a cute way he did it. You need, I hope you've read second chapter, but he, he defends this. His apostleship to the Gentiles was equally blessed by God as Peter's and the James and that church, their ministry to, the, to Israel. It was there. Uh, he talks about confronting Peter. He gives a story that Peter was, would eat with Gentiles and kind of hang out with them. But when, when people from James's church in Jerusalem came down, he shot away from the Gentiles and hung out with the Jews. He, he didn't want one person to see him doing. Have you ever, have you ever, ever caught yourself being a little different? You know, as a pastor, I love it. Knock on the door and hear a kid and run and say, pastor's here. And then I hear these famous words, tell him we'll be just a minute. <laughs> and the Bible appears on the coffee table. It's, it's amazing. But, you know, we're all guilty of that in the company we're in and how we act. But, you see, we're supposed to be light all the time, and God equips us for that. Not only that, he defends justification by faith alone in Christ alone. The Judaizers were trying to add the bondage of the law, Christ and the law. We today sometimes fall into worrying about, am I doing the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? You become frustrated, and most often we throw our hands up and say, what's the use? I just can't do it. Good news. 
There's a way of life for every believer. And I'm just going to pull out two verses in the book of Galatians. And again, before I read these, I want you to understand, Paul was not Superman. He did not have a, a blue suit and a red cape and set with a big S on there. Paul was a man just like you and are. And if we look at Paul and hold him for the mark, we're going to fall short. Because the Bible says the mark is the high call of Jesus Christ. Now that mark is not something that God expects perfection from us. But in our, our zeal and as we live our life, and the Bible says that we as Christians bear the image of Christ. And as more and more we grow into his likeness, we, we are attaining, reaching to that high call in Christ. And one day when we go through those gates, God himself says, well done, good and faithful servant, we'll be there. But until now, we're on a journey, and it's a journey we can go in. You see, Paul also points out in this second chapter, God shows no favoritisms. Do you believe that? Yes. You know, if God did something for Paul that he won't do for you and I, the, the truth is he ceases to be God. God shows no favoritism. For God so loved the world, he didn't leave anybody out. He even spelled it out. He said every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. That's a description of everybody in the world. God loves us, and he wants us. Let's look at these two verses in Galatians. You all know them. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then Paul says this, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Have you ever thought about that? In our quest, when people hold uh, the law, or we try to ascribe to keep the law. You need to understand the law started out with 10 on two tablets. And the, the, the number varies from 680 to 900 and something laws that were added. Uh, each, each new Sanhedrin priest would add something else that they ought to do. And the bondage was called. The law of God is to show us two things. God's moral character and who he is, and it shows us man cannot reach it. It was a school teacher. This is a standard. There's something missing in you. You can't keep it. You see, the problem is sin. I did a little overview on sin. As I begin to read through the Bible, I understand this, that we think about the big sins. Homosexuality, drunkenness, adultery, abortion. Those are big sins. But sometimes when we read the Bible and, and like when we get over to Galatians 5, you're going to see a list. 
But in that list is something else. Because sometimes when we see something we have never been guilty of or been forgiven for, we tend to think, okay, man, my angel wings are sprouting. But it's not. you got to go further. How about gossip? And that's just not friendly concern for someone, okay? Gossip is telling a tale to somebody else about somebody else. That's a sin. Negative attitude. Have you ever been around somebody that when you leave, you feel like you need to take a bath and take a vitamin pill? A negativity is like the darkness that's in night. It just kind of hangs over you. How about causing discord or being jealous? You know, it's being, it's easy to say, man, I wish I could sing like Scott. But to become jealous of Scott because God is giving him that ability, that falls into sin category. How about selfish ambition? I want this for me. I think the world system right now is building everything for them. And they got all kind of weird platforms out there for people to attain stuff that they feel like is their notoriety. How about just plain envy? We need to realize that according to the Bible, we may sin and aim at people, but all sin is against God. You realize that? All sin is against God primarily. Everything else falls under that. Sin is rebellion. It's ignoring God's word. It's a sin not to be in your Bible. I'm not going to give you a course of how you need to study the Bible. God will lead you in that. But every day, you need to either reacquaint yourself or, or realize that every time you read Scripture, something new comes up. I'll be honest with you. When I read this Galatians 2.20, I've quoted that over and over. But I've always thought about, I want to be like Paul. I want to be able to truly live that way and not care about anything else. Just let Christ live in me. But as I began to look at this all over again, I'm, uh, it was revealed to me, that's me. See, when you become a Christian, you are a new creation in Christ. Your flesh, the flesh is desires. The flesh is your want-tos. The flesh is a natural rebellion against God. That's how we naturally are. When Christ was crucified, and when we come to Christ, we're crucified. That old nature is dead. And the problem, I think, in America with the witness of Christ is that we spend all of our time giving mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to an old flesh that is absolutely dead and gone. When I looked at that, I, that said, Cliff Smith, that's your testimony. That's how we begin in Christ, right? Remember when you first saved? Man, just the fullness of God and the new life, the new start. Listen, that's how we are to live. And God equips every need to do that. Sin, my friends, is incurable by man. You cannot pass a law and stop sin, okay? Sin is overpowering. Again, it's like the darkness that... At night, it's just kind of overpowering. Uh, when I made my first trip to Lithuania, I found out it didn't get dark. Dark, and then it really wasn't dark to about 3.30 in the morning. So I, I got my airplane things you put on your face. 
when you sleep, so it could be dark. But you know, rumbling around in the dark sometimes is not funny. Darkness, it's heavy, it's overpowering. We don't realize that sin brings satanic control because through sin, we serve the purpose of Satan. You ever thought about that? You're switching sides when you allow sin to stay in your life. The Spirit of God dwells in us along with Christ in us as Christ living in us. And that goal of the Holy Spirit is a, it's kind of like a warning bell. When we begin to think wrong, when we begin to be tempted or lured back, it's the Spirit of God is there to prompt us to, to show us and to tell us scripture. It's when we willingly live with sin, we are actually doing Satan's job here on this earth. But sin always promises satisfaction, right? Have you ever seen a commercial for whiskey or beer and it shows a homeless person laying on the gutter with a bottle in his hand? Never did. It shows you around all kind of people that I don't think really exists without a ton of makeup. That's how he presents itself. It's satisfaction, but it brings misery, frustration, and hopelessness. Job said these words in the middle of his promises. Man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. If, you, if we stopped right there, that would be, that'd be a horrible thing, wouldn't it? That would, be, that would be more than negative. But you know what? In every person, there's a throne room. And in that throne room is a throne. may not look like this picture, but it serves its purpose. It's a throne. Now, the issue is this. Everybody's got one. Who's sitting on the throne? Is it self? Do you determine what's right and wrong? Do you determine what feels good, what feels bad, what you ought to do? Or is Christ on the throne? See, when Christ comes into our life as a new creation, he sits on the throne rule of life. He doesn't throw out rules to make your life miserable. He shows you the way to stay out of the depression, to stay out of the brokenness that is so relevant in our world. How does he do that? I'm glad you asked. Thank you, Ray. I'm going to start back where I finished, Galatians 2.20. We're going to walk through this. I have been killed. Crucifixion was not just a punishment where they put you on a tree and then you got off. You died. That means that the life that I lived before him, those things that internally, my thought process, my heart, those things died with Christ. And it's not I who live any longer. Now, it's not just that we die inside. That would bring an emptiness. And nature tells you that nature abhors a vacuum. You can take an empty jug of milk and a full jug of milk 
and put a hose in the full one and put the other end of the hose in the other one and they'll both rise. Nature abhors a vacuum. God doesn't leave us with a vacuum. Christ lives in me. That means that he is present with every word that we said. That means he's present with every thought that we've had. That means that though we may say something sweetly, outwardly, God knows the intent of his heart, our heart. Do you realize that when Jesus gave the greatest message in the world, he talked about you say, you shall not murder. I say, if you hate your brother, you've already murdered him. The law says you shall not commit adultery. But I say, if you look on a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery. Jesus took it up a notch. And the reason he did is the purity of Jesus Christ. He lives in us. He understands. He knows. That's why we need to understand the power and the beauty of prayer. Sometimes my prayers begin this way. God, I blew it. (laughs) And sometimes it's almost immediately. There are times I had to go back to my office and shut the door and just say, God, that was stupid of me. Stupid of me. Christ is there. He's there not to tear us down, but to strengthen us, to forgive, to cleanse, to blot out, to forget, and put us on that right road again. The life I live in this body, this body that's left, I live by faith. That's the only way you can live. Abraham believed God for a child that he waited for. He believed that his seed would be outnumber the sand by the sea. He never saw it. He believed God was giving him a land. He never lived in it. He saw it from a distance. And when you read that Old Testament hall of faith, as we like to call it, every one of those people, it says they died in faith believing but without seeing because they lived seeing a city, seeing something in the distance that they were traveling to. We need to forget we're soldiers, we're pilgrims, we're aliens in this world. Our habitation is yet to be made. Christ is the architect of that. We live by faith in what? The Son of God. Careful what you put your faith in. Too many times we put faith in things and people that don't deserve our faith. And then when we are fooled or when problems come, we blame people. The reality is we need to blame us because we put our faith in the Son of God. Why? Because he loved me and he gave himself for us. Never forget that. Well, Galatians, Paul, or excuse me, in Romans, Paul had some self-helps, I like to call it. Romans chapter 6. For we know, we already know this. Our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. Have you ever realized, ever realized that that sin nature in us has been done away with? 
And the devil don't make us do anything. It's us who fall prey to the things the old flesh used to fall away from. I always like to say, I've done I don't more funerals than I want to do. But I've never had a body raise up and say, y'all turn the air conditioning down. It's hot in this box. I've, I've never, never had that happen. I've never had one ask for a drink of water or inquire who was there. When something is dead, it's gone. And we need to take the, re- the revelation in our lives that if God said it's gone, then we need to understand. You know, we used to have bumper stickers that said, God settled it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. No. God settled, said it. That settles it. We're called to believe. Let's crucify him so that the body of sin may be done away with. That we should be no longer slaves to sin. Do you remember the throne? Are we enslaving ourselves to a lifestyle that brings no uh, long-term uh, outlook, no term, long-term happiness, no joy? Who's on that throne? We're not slaves to sin. Well, Paul came back in Romans 7, chapter 7. He said, for when we were controlled by the sinful nature prior conversion, the sinful passion arose in us by the law. I can remember years ago, I I, I saw this little video and they went to a a library, had a beautiful green yard and and they over a time lapse filmed it for weeks. There were sidewalks leading to the library. They put a keep off the grass sign on each side of the library, of that walkway. And they did another timeline video. And you'd see people walk, get to that point, and cut across the grass. When you go down the road and the speed limit is 55, in your heart of hearts, you know you can do 65. You see, the law, the purpose of the law is to arouse us to exactly what's right. But there is an opposite effect in the old man. The old man says, that's what I want. Look at children. (laughs) You give them something in one hand and you pull out something else. And no, that's no good. I want that. Well, you can't have that. That makes it worse. Am I lying? I got children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And to say you can't have it turns on something in them. The sinful fashion of pride while we was, was at work in our bodies. So that we bore the fruit of death. What real fruit, lasting fruit, did your life bear before you came to Christ? I thought about mine. It did nothing for anybody. It didn't do anything for myself. Because every day I live for the passions and my desires of that day. Never looking forward. Bought no life. Paul continues back in the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? That's what I've heard people say. Well, if all of my sins were forgiven on the cross, then what's to stop me from sin? Well, it's the Christ that lives in you. He's saying, don't go 90 miles an hour around a hairpin curve. Nothing good comes out of it. But then Paul makes this statement. In uh, Romans 7, 
excuse me, I didn't put it on your sheet. In chapter 7, Paul makes these statements. He talks about the things he wants to do and the things he knows he should do are the very things he doesn't do. Have you read that? Does that sound like you and I? And he's, he talks about what kind of what kind of thing is working in me? The very thing that I do is the thing that's evil. Why? What is this? And he cries out, oh God, who will rescue this wretched man? And he finishes that by saying, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our refuge. He is our refuge. I'm going to say something that may sound crazy to you. But I believe we need to spend more time talking to ourselves and less time listening to ourselves. You think about that a minute. What are the natural thoughts that run through your mind every day? Most often they're negative. If you're trying to do something, you can't do it. You can't do it well. You don't have time. Negative thoughts. If we spent more time not listening to the negativity that's pounding in our mind from ourself, from our uh, TVs, Facebook, you name it, pounding with it. If we spent less time listening and listening to that and more time talking to yourself, what do you talk about? You talk about the promises of God. When you are tempted and you, you're, you're there to the point of almost giving in, you talk about, I thank God I have been crucified with Christ. You talk about, I thank God this old sinful nature has died. It was crucified with Christ. The point of knowing Scripture is to speak Scripture into your life. And we begin to talk Scripture into our life and talk Scripture into each other and stop listening God provides that strength and assurance that will carry us a long, long way. Listen, service is important. Volunteering, doing things, going on mission trips, giving is important, very important. It, it is a, a, the best measurement of our faith and trust in Christ. Praying is important. That's our communication with God. But sometimes we put the cart before the horse. We're called to know God. That's our first call in our life. And when we know Christ and he takes up residence in us, our service expands and we work without sweat or grumble. Hard things become easy because we're propelled by the nature and the power of Christ. Our giving comes easy because we know God will never leave us or forsake us. God knows that the measure of our true trust in God comes out of our checkbook. We give because God first gave us. Oh, we spend time in prayer talking to people. You know, when you're a boy dating that young lady or young lady dating that boy, we didn't have cell phones. We had phones at home, remember? And I remember mama saying, get off the phone. Get off the phone. And I could hear her mama saying, get off the phone. 
Sometimes it was fun when we had the old party lines because people would kind of chirp in and say, oh, ain't that sweet, you know. You talk to who you love to. And I, I promise you, the more you spend, I thank God when I'm trying to, in a hurry and go to the store and I pull up and there's a parking place waiting for me. I, I just say, thank you, God. When we get into the attitude of thanksgiving and praise, God is living in us. He's then sitting on the control of our life. People will look at you like you're crazy. And it opens a perfect door to talk about the hope that is in them. And if there's one thing that's needed in this miserable world that we live in is hope that is steadfast and sure. It's nailed down tight. And that is the message. Well, what happens over time? Do you just swerve away from this? No. I found the answer in Proverbs chapter 24. Now notice these words. A sleep. A slumber. A folding of the hands to rest. You notice it doesn't say I want a bunch. Go back to that other slide. A bunch of sleep and a bunch of slumber and a bunch of fold. It's saying it just takes a dab. It's like putting a little bit of yeast in a big ball of dough. You put that in the refrigerator and the next door, they, it's a big blob, right? I just want a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Okay, what happens with just a little bit? Poverty will come on you like a bandit. And scarcity like an armed man. Now you take this beyond your paycheck. Things of that nature. This applies to us. In our time with God. The supplier of life. The lifeline of life. Good news folks. It's not just for Paul. It's a lifestyle. The question I'll leave with you this morning is this. Who's sitting on the throne of your life? I challenge you. Get rid of self. Put Christ on the throne. Take baby steps in your faith. And before long, you're taking giant steps because you're walking with the one who has promised. If you're online today and you know today is the day you need to respond to the call of Christ in your life. You've been putting it away. You, you just put it off. My email address is going to come up on the screen in just a little bit. I want you to either hit that I have decided button. Someone will contact you or contact me directly. If you're a Christian sitting at home, you're healthy, you know you need to be back within the body of Christ. I urge you, step out in faith. Come and get back where the only place in the world you're going to find encouragement. If you're here today and you don't have that personal relationship with Christ, if you don't have that witness that your old nature is dead and gone, then today I'll be over here. I'll be walking the halls. Again, my email will come up. You contact me because it's important. Christians, for the rest of us, here's the deal. Is it time that you change the person sitting 
on the throne of your life? That's the question. Only you can answer it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. When we say it, God, it is done in our life. And so today, I pray this will be a definite day of decision in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.